Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 444 Monday, September 20th. Today on the show, did we learn anything at all about Tennessee or Vanderbilt this weekend? Did Alabama actually show us that they are beatable? We've got some injuries in the AFC South. Nashville SC's unbeaten streak comes to an end. But we begin, of course, with one of the most extraordinary Titans games anyone has ever seen. If you are in the market to buy a house, if you are in the market to do a major remodel, if you are in the market to add a new wing to your home, any of those things, any major financial decisions with your home, you're going to need to talk to the Kingston Group before you do that. BuildKG.com is the website. Go look at their work. Go look at their process and tell me that you will not be better off having at least a conversation with them. You will make a smarter and better decision even if you don't use them. I promise you they want what is in your best interest for your home. So just give them a ring. Go check out the website, buildkg.com, and remember the name The Kingston Group before you make any major financial decisions about your home. I am not even sure where to begin with the Titans' 33-30 overtime road win over Seattle on Sunday. I think Neil deGrasse Tyson could investigate the origins of that game for a lifetime and would never come up with an answer. Which is how the afternoon began for the Titans, without any answers. Taylor Lewan was hurt in warm-ups and didn't play, and the quarterback of the defense, Jayon Brown, was out with a hamstring. And after one half of play, the Titans were not only trailing by more than two touchdowns, but it didn't appear that this team was going to be able to do anything right. Hell, they were down by 14 early in the fourth quarter. The offensive line couldn't block again. A.J. Brown was dropping passes again. Ryan Tannehill fumbled again. The secondary couldn't cover again. And the staff was getting outcoached on both sides of the ball again. So, of course, shorthanded, facing an uphill battle on the road in an extremely hostile environment against a Hall of Fame quarterback and a Hall of Fame coach, of course the Titans found a way to win. It was truly one of the more remarkable games I've ever seen. I could say it was one of the more remarkable second halves I've ever seen, and that would be true. One of the more remarkable comebacks that I've ever seen, and that would be true. One of the more remarkable performances by Derrick Henry, a player who routinely puts forth remarkable performances, and that would be true too. Henry was extraordinary, and behind an offensive line that not only didn't have Lawan, but also lost Roger Saffold midway through the game as well. It was superhuman. He finished with 182 yards rushing, 55 yards receiving, and three touchdowns on 41 total touches, including a career-high six receptions, and all but 50 of that came in the second half. His 60-yard touchdown run with 12 minutes to go in the game not only was an absurd display of human athleticism, but also immediately got the Titans back into the game. He battered and dragged Seahawks defenders all second half, and it changed the way Ryan Tannehill could play the game. It slowed down the pass rush, it loosened up the secondary, and allowed Tannehill to do what Tannehill does. Lead gritty, tough-as-nails fourth-quarter comebacks. The Titans quarterback went 7-for-7 on the final game-tying drive of regulation that eventually sent the game into overtime. Yes, he was sacked three more times, yes, he fumbled again, and he didn't look like he knew how to attack the Seattle defense for most of the game. But when push came to shove, he got the job done, and he did it with a patchwork offensive line and a bunch of drop passes. He finished 27 of 40 for 347 yards and added 27 more on the ground. No, he didn't score, and no, he didn't throw a pass on the game-winning drive in overtime. That was, of course, all Derrick Henry. But he did his job, sort of like a lot of the rest of the Titans on Sunday. Some sort of strange collective team willpower somehow found a way. 
And while there are still massive issues with this team, a win is a win in the NFL. With the Colts coming to town next week, 1-1 one one is a whole lot different than 0-2. And, and hey, the pass rush had three sacks, and the defense was much improved on third down, especially in the fourth quarter and in overtime. Russell Wilson torched them, make no mistake, and they really had no business winning that football game. But a lot of players made a lot of key plays late in that game to somehow, someway find a way to win. Call it culture, call it identity, call it whatever you want. Just make sure you call it a W. One of the more important stories around the NFL from Week 2 outside of the Titans, for those of us here in Nashville, were the injuries. Both Houston and Indianapolis saw their starting quarterbacks get hurt. Tyra Taylor left the game for the Texans and is having an MRI on his hamstring on Monday. He's already been ruled out of Thursday night's game with Carolina. And much more importantly, Carson Wentz left the Colts' loss to the Rams after getting his leg caught underneath him in a pretty disgusting way. He didn't play the final critical moments of the game, and his status for Week 3's road trip to Nashville is in question. Jacob Eason would be the starter, as the two desperate teams are set to do battle at Nissan Stadium on Sunday. Additionally, Miami lost to Atungabailoa early in their loss to Buffalo on Sunday as well. Jacoby Brissett played most of that game, and if two his bruised ribs keep him out for an extended period of time, well, it could, in theory, impact the AFC wildcard picture. I will try to say this as simply as possible. We didn't learn a single stinking thing about Tennessee in their Week 3 blowout over Tennessee Tech. But something I already thought is now sort of cemented. That is that Hendon Hooker needs to be the starting quarterback of this team. He has his flaws. He is by no means a top-flight SEC starting quarterback. But this offense runs better when he is in the game. He's more accurate and more dynamic than Joe Milton, and that's it. It's all I really need to know. The stats in this game don't matter. The efficiency and the balance was nice to see, as total domination was the only real option for the Vols this weekend. And they did that. Having said all of that, the 5.3 yards per play, even in a total blowout, is a bit concerning for a Josh Heupel-coached offense. The Vols are currently ranked 88th in America in offensive efficiency at 5.4 yards per play this season and haven't exactly played a difficult schedule. Otherwise, we learned very little about this team heading into Florida week. By the way, Florida is a team we learned a lot about in their two-point loss to Alabama, and as a result, the Gators open as a 16.5-point favorite over the Vols for Saturday's game in the Swamp. Speaking of Florida, here is something we learned about Alabama, and I'm not really sure how it actually happened. Alabama did win its 32nd consecutive game against SEC East teams, but only rushed 28 times for 91 yards in the 31-29 win over the Gators. Somehow, Florida turned Alabama into a one-dimensional team. And for now, with only a few starts under his belt, Bryce Young had to deal with some more difficult situations. Longer third downs, a hostile environment. I wouldn't expect those things to unsettle him or this offense for very long. But when you look at the formula for how to attack Alabama, the Gators at least gave us a glimpse. Stop the run. In turn, Florida was also able to run the football, becoming just the sixth team to rush for over 250 yards against a Nick Saban-coached Alabama football team. Mostly by just using quarterback Emory Jones to loosen things up. He carried 19 times for 77 yards. And in the process, the Gators gave the rest of America a glimmer of hope that maybe Alabama can be beaten. Stop the run and find a way to move the ball with your quarterback on the ground. That appears to be the only way to attack Alabama. And looking around college football, who is capable of doing that? Georgia? Texas A&M? Oregon? Oklahoma? Clemson has the defense, but nothing on offense. Ohio State has the offense, but nothing on defense. 
Well, this season feels like a replica of the chaotic and classic 2007 campaign in college football. It still feels like Alabama is head and shoulders above everyone else. Over on West End, Stanford put the clamps down on Vanderbilt on Saturday night, easily covering the spread in the 41-23 win. A bright spot for the Commodores was their ability to run the football, going for 247 yards on 44 carries. But Ken Seals totaled just 120 yards passing on 37 attempts, which is really, really hard to do and really inefficient football. On the season, Vanderbilt is averaging just 4.4 yards per play on offense, which is 121st in the nation and is in last in the SEC. Vandy opens as a 32.5-point underdog to Georgia this weekend. Nashville SC's five-game unbeaten streak was snapped on Saturday night in a 2-1 loss to Toronto, last place Toronto. The boys in gold conceded early, going down 1-0 in the 18th minute, and after 60 minutes of battling, SC finally tied it up on a CJ Sapong goal in the 74th minute, giving the club hope that they could in fact steal a road point and keep their unbeaten streak alive. However, last place Toronto scored just five minutes later, costing Nashville the road draw. It's a bad loss against the worst team in the Eastern Conference, especially when you're just 10 minutes away from a point. Nashville SC is still in second place in the Eastern Conference, and the loss kicks off a week that will feature three matches in eight days to wrap up their four-match road trip. Nashville SC will face expansion rival Inter-Miami on Wednesday at 6.30 before a noon kickoff against Chicago on Sunday. One more win over this next week would make this last month of road games a major success. A couple of draws would probably do that as well. Two more losses to two more bad teams, however, might be a trend that SC fans could be concerned about. A reminder that this product, this podcast, the 440, is brought to you by the Kingston Group, the great folks over at buildkg.com. When you are ready, when you are thinking about making a big purchase or doing some big renovations, doing some big work on your home, just remember that name. Call them before you make any decisions. They will help guide you through the process. Trust me. They are the name you want to work with. The Kingston Group. That's buildkg.com. My name is Braden Gall. Thank you guys all for listening. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Please share the product, share the show. That is all we ask of you, and we greatly, greatly appreciate it. Thank you guys all for listening. This has been the 444 Monday, September 20th. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler. <laughs>